A few months ago, Michael showed me something that was circulating on Twitter. It was a story about one of those tear-off daily Bible verse calendars with a quote that you're supposed to carry around with you, something to give you strength and inspiration for your day. The verse said this, To you I will give all glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 6. What an encouraging promise and what an inspiring verse to carry with you through the day. What the verse didn't mention is who is saying these words. The verse comes from Jesus' time preparing for his ministry in the wilderness. And the speaker of the quote of this inspiring promise to give you all glory and authority if you but worship him, the speaker is the devil. Context matters. We can take verses and hold them close to our hearts, but it is helpful to know the context from which they emerge. We believe this as Presbyterians that studying the text doesn't diminish it, Studying the text shapes and deepens our associations with the scriptures. Context matters. That is why when John 3.16 was suggested as the gospel passage for preachers today, I was curious what else was happening around this very familiar verse. This verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but might have eternal life. This verse is one of the most famous, perhaps the most quoted from the Bible, alongside let there be light and in the beginning was the word. You, like me, have probably seen this crocheted on countless pillows, seen this hanging on many posters and car bumpers. This is probably tattooed or toted or quoted by someone that you know. Rob Bell, in his new book, What is the Bible?, which Alec mentioned in a recent sermon, says that we shouldn't ask, why did God do this or that? Because we'll probably get the answer wrong. The question we should ask when reading scripture is, why did someone choose to write this down? What does this say about God? What does this say about ourselves? What does this say about the world? Why did someone choose to write this down and preserve it for 2,000 years and beyond? And I would also add, in light of our Bible tear-off calendar snafu, it's important to ask, who is speaking this verse? And to whom are they speaking? So let's hear this familiar, famous verse, but let's also hear a little more of the story. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and verses 9 through 21. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are not told much about Nicodemus. He only appears in the Gospel of John. He talks with Jesus here. And later he says a few words when the religious and political authorities are discussing arresting Jesus. And then after Jesus' death, he helps Joseph of Arimathea prepare the body for burial. So what has the writer told us about Nicodemus here? Why might this be important to write down? Nicodemus is a leader in his community. He is a Pharisee, a learned man of the scriptures. He is impressed so far by what he has seen Jesus do. He's very impressed, impressed by his signs and his teachings. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to ask him some more questions. And let's imagine the scene. Jesus has probably had a full couple days. It was a few days before, during the festival of Passover, that he had taken cord and made whip and overturned tables and tossed out money and gotten angry, very angry, at the idolatry in his father's house. He had come to Jerusalem, come to the temple, which is the heart of the political, financial, religious life of the region, and he had unleashed such a force of words and signs. He drew quite a crowd he caused quite a stir. People were wondering what he was going to do next. And so we can imagine that Jesus has probably had a full couple days. People are streaming to him, clamoring for him to share more, grabbing at him, asking questions. He probably has hardly had a moment to breathe. And then night falls, and the day winds down, and the crowds go home, and Jesus prepares to collect himself and prepare for the next day, it is dark and quiet at last. And then in the dark, Jesus hears someone at the door. Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come by night. He is one of the authorities who probably would have been in the temple at the time of Jesus' actions. 
He saw Jesus' protest. He heard his prophecy. Nicodemus is intrigued by this man. He wants to know more, but he doesn't want to know enough to come during the day. That would be too exposed, too out in the open. Nicodemus waits until his public work is done. He waits until the crowds have dispersed. He waits until Jesus is alone with his disciples for the time being. Nicodemus, the leader, the scholar, does not come during the day. He comes by night. Perhaps he is nervous. Perhaps he is nervous for his job or his position or his authority. Or perhaps he simply don't, didn't want to be part of the daytime rabble. He wanted to be seen as wise and discerning, not just another foolish follower. He wants his own time with Jesus, his own one-on-one -on -one time for some intellectual debate. He doesn't want to be just another disciple. He wants Jesus to know that he would have come during the day if he could, but really he was just too busy. There were too many important matters to attend to. He just couldn't get away to spend time with Jesus until the nighttime. But now he is here, and he wants to ask Jesus some questions, you know, one intellectual to another. Nicodemus starts with a bit of flattery. Rabbi, I can see you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these signs apart from the presence of God. And Jesus responds, you can imagine a paraphrase, well, thanks, but remember what I'm telling you. You showing up here with me saying these words isn't enough. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? And Jesus responds again with words about birth and water and spirit. Nicodemus still doesn't get it, so Jesus keeps going, this time describing death and being lifted up, using an ancient story of Moses. This is a story in Numbers, where the people are getting bitten by snakes because they have complained, and so they pray to God, and God hears them, and God commands Moses to lift up a serpent on a staff, so the people might gaze at the serpent and be healed. This is a story that is actually echoed throughout Greek mythology, and to this day, the snake on a staff is used by many healing organizations. So Jesus reminds Nicodemus about this story of death and commitment and faith and healing. Jesus talks about birth and water and spirit. And Jesus then turns to this man this cautious Pharisee who comes only for the after-dinner drinks to this famous rabbi who does the cool signs. Jesus turns to this man and says, God so loves this world that God offered his child, his only child, the one who carries all his adoration and all his delight, God gives the gift of this life to the world so that we can understand the power of love when it comes from God. God offers us this gift not to shame us, but to transform us. And this person is still the essence of God laid bare. God is made vulnerable by pouring out all divinity into this human form and flesh. God does this out of love to save us 
to transform us. God so loves us that God will expose to us a heart that can break, a body that can be broken. God is not hidden from us, but held up aloft, living and acting in the light of day, exposed and vulnerable. Jesus ends with this exact line, Those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. And we can imagine him looking straight at Nicodemus, the one who has come to him by night. We don't hear what happens to Nicodemus next, but we can imagine a lot is happening within him. Perhaps we can imagine all the questions whirling in his brain. Perhaps we too can feel the pushing and pulling of priorities in his heart. He is not suddenly changed right away. When we next see Nicodemus, he is listening to his fellow Pharisees and chief priests talk about arresting Jesus. And Nicodemus does speak up eventually for a fair court of law, but then the other leaders turn to him and mock him, and he falls silent again. And we don't hear from him again through the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. He only steps forward after Jesus has died in order to take care of the body. It is hard to speak up and risk everything. Perhaps it is fair to say that Nicodemus is starting to discover that following Jesus is not an easy enterprise. Perhaps he is discovering that following Jesus, listening to him, believing in him, wanting to join in the work of transforming the world, this means so much more than just enjoying this guy's signs or his words or wanting to debate him intellectually when it is convenient, when it fits into his own schedule. It is so much more than that. Perhaps Nicodemus is discovering that Jesus will not be easily slotted into his own plans and priorities. In these verses, Nicodemus finds that Jesus isn't interested in just talking. Instead, Jesus is trying to show and tell about the most profound gift possible, the gift of self from the creator of the universe, the gift of self from the one who conducts the heavens in singing, the gift of self from the one who orchestrates the chords of love and grace and mercy that resound throughout the entire universe. Perhaps Nicodemus hears about this stunning transformation, transforming heart and body breaking gift, and he realizes that following Jesus is going to cost a little more than he expected. Perhaps following Jesus will cost him something of his power and privilege and prestige, perhaps even his life. Pope Francis recently put it, there is no such thing as low-cost Christianity. The call to follow Jesus costs nothing less than returning to God what God does willingly in love for us, pouring out our whole selves, our whole lives into the work of love and hope, pouring out our whole selves, our whole lives into loving relationship with the world. The world as it is takes a lot of work. We are not at some day of peace and time of heaven yet. As things are now, our lives, our love, 
will get bent and dented and perhaps even broken. Nicodemus is slowly learning this. Jesus is not someone who waits around until we're ready to sit down and talk to him at the end of the day after our real public work is done. Jesus the Christ is here right now. He is not hidden away, but exposed in the light of day. God with us, God among us, light of light, true God of true God. He is here, not secretive or cautionary, but here in the heart of things, living a life made vulnerable by signs of fierce compassion, powerful love, and precious grace. He is even here in signs of prophetic anger, anger against idolatry and injustice that happened in his temple thousands of years ago and that happen in the world today. We hear Jesus' words to Nicodemus, and we should remember that Jesus speaks them not to condemn, but to give a promise, a promise born out of hope and compassion. For indeed, we all desperately need a promise of hope sometimes. This is a bruising world. Perhaps you have already learned what Nicodemus has yet to discover, that there is no way to stay hidden forever. Everything gets exposed to the light. There is not a way to protect yourself forever. Everything is at risk in this world. Our hearts, our power, our bodies, our lives, everything is vulnerable. No matter what walls we place around our hearts, no matter how many disciplined regimens we require of our bodies, no matter how many Sudoku puzzles we perform for our minds, no matter how hard we work at our jobs, no matter how much money we save, no matter what the value of our house or how steadfast our political opinions or who our friends are, everything is vulnerable. Everything is risky in this life. Everything is at risk of being exposed, laid bare, bruised and wounded by the world. So Christ gives us this promise of hope. God knows what it takes to be human. God knows in the depth and the heart of things what it means to offer ourselves, our lives, offer the most important part of ourselves, pouring it out in relationship with others. God promises that Jesus won't abandon us, even if it means death. Jesus knows the costs of what it takes to be vulnerable in this world. And so when Nicodemus comes to him, when Nicodemus comes with his rhetorical, philosophical questions, when he comes by night with his cautious power and prestige, Jesus tells him about the most powerful relationship in the known universe, the relationship between God and God's own child. Jesus tells him about birth and death and love. Nicodemus needs some time to process this. We might need some time to process this. Right now, we might need to take some more time. We might choose to only come by Jesus, to Jesus by night. But in the meantime, Jesus is choosing to get to work in the broad light of day. 
In the broad, bright light of day, Jesus is choosing to work with us for the transformation of the world. Jesus is choosing to act, to lay himself bare to pain and emotions. Jesus isn't waiting around for us to get our act together, to work up the courage to join him. He is not sitting around twiddling his thumbs, taking a breather, waiting for us. Jesus is choosing to become vulnerable, to expose to us a heart and a body that we can break, and that we will break, and that we do break. Right now, we might need some time, like Nicodemus, to process this. But when we do decide to come to Christ's side in the light, when we do decide that it is worth the risk to admit our need, to admit our vulnerability, to expose ourselves to this grace and love, then we will find that this strange man, this teacher from Galilee, this son of God, this Jesus, will be ready for us. He will be the first person to welcome us, the first person to rejoice and invite us into the transforming work of challenging and changing this world. He will be ready to turn to us with love, with joy, with a peace and a purpose that makes it worth it to risk everything. 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 Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, you are working for a day of peace that still dimly shines. And if we look, we can see you at work. And if we take time, we know, even then, that you will invite us to join you. And so we pray that you will make of us faithful, vulnerable disciples today, joining you in light and joy and purpose. Amen.